Hello and welcome to the Workwise Pod, a weekly podcast in which your hosts Deepak Menon and Sujata Rao talk about how we can make our workplaces better, not just more productive and impactful, but also fairer, more empathetic and fulfilling. In today's episode, Deepak and Sujata are talking to Muhammad Ali Wakil about a different way of structuring and managing organizations, holacracies. Stay tuned. Sujata, startups seem to have this infectious energy and esprit de corps, creativity, innovation, ownership, quick to fail, quick to scale approach. However, as they mature, they exhibit stereotypical corporate culture, risk aversion, love for rules and protocols, low innovation, people working in silos. They make fewer accounting mistakes, but miss larger opportunities. What is going on? Structure drives behavior, Deepak. I've always had this belief that the biggest determinant of organizational behavior and culture is the organizational structure that any organization adopts. When startups are small, they invariably have flat organizational structures, right? Everyone works without a manager inspecting, you know, what needs to be done. People pick up whatever they want and can do. And so there are a few bottlenecks to speed and innovation. But when startups start to scale, they seem to adopt uh, default organizational structures that seem to be hierarchies, right? Um, so you have managers and then you have managers for managers and then managers for those managers and so on and so on until this pyramid of accounting and responsibility creates a permission-based work culture that seems to kill creativity and innovation. Exactly. And I'm sure corporations too must be fed up of this work culture. They might not prefer the madness of startups but there surely must be a better way of organizing work that allows more flexibility, more ownership. It's almost like the startups seem to have a reed-like structure, flexible but strong, while corporates seem to have a tree-like structure, strong but not flexible. Wonder if there's anything in between, a best of both worlds in a sense. Well, I think today we have more models that we can look at as compared to, say, 20, 25 years back. For example, we have, you know, Frederick Lelou's idea of the teal organization, right? There is this, the concept of an aequacy model. And of course, the holacracy model that Brian Robertson's been talking about, and that seems to hold a lot of promise. Some of these models are now beginning to be experimented and adopted in India as well. And to today, to talk with us about holacracy, we have Mohammad Ali Vakil. Ali is the co-founder of Calm Achiever. They are the official partners for getting things done and holacracy in India. And Ali is passionate about helping organizations structure themselves in ways that increase team engagement, agility, and purposeful work. Welcome to the podcast, Ali. Oh, thank you, Sujat. I'm so glad to be here. Hi, Deepak. Good to be here. Hi, welcome. Welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you. So, Ali, let's start off with the absolute basics, right? Hmm. What is holacracy? Yeah, you know, I'm so glad to hear your introduction because that leads in so perfectly to what, how we define holacracy. And at the core of it, it is a way of structuring organizations. 
most organizations, as you know, they have a default structure, a typical management hierarchy. And holacracy is an alternative to the management hierarchy. Another way to structure yourself where people can show up at work with more uh, autonomy, uh, uh, self-management practice where they can serve the purpose of the organization. So it's a new way of really structuring the organization to really allow for purposeful work to happen uh, within the organization. Right. So when when did holacracy start off? How did it start, right? And when and where did it uh, really start taking off? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of uh, credit to uh, Brian Robertson. So it was really his uh, brainchild where it originated from, and now it's grown to something much bigger. But uh, he uh, re- he was working for some, one of the top companies, which was uh, one of supposed to be one of the best places to work, and he really felt restricted uh, in the work he was doing in terms of whenever he wanted to get something done, there was your bureaucracy, there were permissions required. And he felt, you know, there's something wrong about, you know, the way we are structuring organization, especially the company that I'm working is supposed to be one of the best places to work. Why am I feeling so restricted? And uh, then in order to really search for a better way to work, he uh, founded his own organization, a software development company, and he really used it as a laboratory to experiment with different ways of working. Um, and he tried a whole lot of things, flat organizations, he tried sociocracy and you know, different ways of how you manage organizations and make decisions. And out of that evolved uh, a new system from his learnings and he called this system holacracy. Um, and yeah, this, I think, if I have to say when it holacracy began, uh, it was around 2007 when the idea of the name came up and it became a thing that uh, you know people could use or he was using in his organization. And the second question is, how did it really take off? Or when did it really take off? I think it really took off 2013, 14, or I think 2014. I don't get the years exactly right. But some of the larger companies really took notice. And one of them really comes to mind is Zappos. I think when Zappos really you know, went full on with Holacracy, people really took notice that, all right, Zappos is around that big on a couple of thousand people. And if that company is now going full on with holacracy, so this is a real viable alternative that we can consider compared to how we're typically structuring. So I think that was really a tipping point that got a lot of attention. What is also interesting is when people think about companies adopting holacracy, I, I think what comes to mind is, okay, this is something for tech organizations or something in Silicon Valley that, you know, these are the kind of organizations that will find it useful, or perhaps even startups. But what is interesting is um, if you actually look at the kind of organizations adopting Holacracy, um, and there is a list out there that is published on the Holacracy website, you'll find most of the organizations are not these software companies. They are, you know, be real estate companies, could be a lot of educational universities, and you've got manufacturing, got, you know, this whole variety of organizations that are exploring this new way of working. Um, so I, I found it really interesting. Initially, when I approached Holacracy, I thought, okay, this is going to be something that tech companies and I have to kind of adapt to that their mindset, but it is really not that. It is really a new offering, a new way of work for any organization who wants to explore these this future of work and these new principles that are out there, like the deal principles Sujata mentioned. So what got you interested in the first place? <laughs> Good question. What got me interested? 
So I joined the work world uh, right after college and coming from a Gujarati family, you are, we are always kind of told from a very young age, you have to get into business. You have to get into business and you, you don't have any other option. <laughs> so right after I completed my studies, I joined the family business. And, uh, and this was in real estate. And I found it, so as I joined the business, I found it really chaotic because the business had grown to a size. My father started the company, still running it. But this was in uh, 2000. Yeah, I think 2006 is when I joined the business and real estate was booming, companies expanding, we're starting more projects and with some scale, there comes more complexity and me entering into that organization, that complexity, I found it really overwhelming. And I was always looking, you know, how do we, how do we manage our organizations better? And for a long time, I tried implementing a whole lot of different systems in place so that, you know, the organization can function in a particular way and I don't have to get involved in the nitty gritty. And one of the things that really bothered me when I joined was a lot of people asking me permission to do even some of the smallest things. And here I was, maybe I was maybe 25 or so when I joined uh, the company and almost everyone was older to me, right? Right from the, say, the customer care team to <laughs> the engineers to the legal team. And it was so awkward for me that they are asking me permission for, you know, even some of the smaller things. I was like, what is this? You know, why is people asking me? They're these, uh, they're hired to do the work. They're the experts in the field. So, um, yeah, my, that uh, experience initially really led me to search of what are some good systems that we can implement in our company so that I'm not involved in a day-to-day -day basis and the system can take care of itself. And while a lot of things worked, I really didn't really get my answer because anytime I would create a system, it would break, and then I would go back and create another system, and like, back to square one, right? So fast forward to 2015, that's when I found myself not only just managing my family business, but also a school. Um, I started drawing comics, so that was a hobby I adopted, and uh, we started Calm Achiever, a company to uh, train individuals and organizations GTD. So I found myself really stretched, and still in my search for systems, I came across Holacracy. And what, uh, I think I, I was reading an article about Holacracy and it really switched a flip in my mind. And it made me uh, realize that all this time, the reason why it was not working out for me in terms of implementing those systems is because I was looking at my organization like a machine. Like, okay, th this is this machine out there and I'm gonna go ahead and you know have this perfect systems and it's gonna work so perfectly and beautifully like a well-oiled machine and you know, it's going to be all cool. And I realized that was the wrong mental model of looking at organizations, especially in today's fast-paced world. A better model that would work is to look at your organizations like a living organism that is that needs to constantly adapt and evolve uh, in its environment in order to meet its purpose. Therefore, with that model, what kind of system can we put in place so that your organizations can adapt and evolve in this fast-paced world by giving autonomy and freedom to people to serve the purpose of the organization. So that was like a, kind of a big shift for me. And that kind of led me down to this path of exploring holocracy. Uh, so Ali, describe for us a typical holocratic structure. Hmm. Hmm. I would, yeah, the first thing I would say is when you look, when a company adopts a holocracy, it looks very different than a management hierarchy. And let me tell you what is different about it. I think if I had to use a metaphor or an analogy, I would say it, the structure of the organization is like the structure of nature. Right? If you look at a human body or if you look at nature, it doesn't have a top-down command and control structure. Right? It's got this uh, holarchic structure. 
And what I mean by that is you have, like if you look at the human body, right, it's got structure at every level. The cell has a certain structure, right? And within that, it has its own system of, you know, doing things. And then beyond the cell, um, you have, let's say it comes together and you have an, a larger function that is serving its purpose. And beyond that, you have another function that is the organ that is doing its thing. And it could be the heart or it could be the lungs, etc. And then all these are coordinating together in order to fulfill another purpose for their um, human body. And each is doing its own thing without really interfering with each other. That is why when we are here on this podcast, we can pay attention to each other without really thinking about, okay, what is my cell doing? Is there enough blood being pumped in my body? So uh, that is how holacracy is structured. It has hierarchy, but it is hierarchy of purpose, not hierarchy of people. So if you look at an organization, if you look at the structure of a holocratic organization or practicing holacracy, you will see that there is structure, but it is broken down based on the work of the organization and not necessarily the people. So you could have one person in multiple parts of the organization, but not necessarily in like a management hierarchy. Yeah, so basically these two things, it's structure like, you know, like how nature structures, and you will find that it has a lot of roles because it, those roles are a breakdown of the purpose of the organization and not the people. So the, the idea of roles is very central to holacracy overall, right? Because as you pointed out, uh, people can occupy multiple roles at the same time, right? So your role is not connected to, a, let's say, a job description or a designation. Um, could you expand on that a little bit more, Ali? How uh, are there decision-making roles? Are there implementing roles? Or are there, uh, you know, accountability roles? How does this work in a holacracy? Yeah, so every role that is created has very clear, uh, has a lot of clarity into what that role is uh, expected to be doing. So a role would have a purpose, the purpose of this role. You could have, for example, we have a role called holacracy coach. Right? It's a very simple role. I am showing up in a way, I'm showing up in this role as a holacracy coach explaining what holacracy is all about in a way. So uh, it has a purpose. It has accountabilities, what is expected of that role. And yeah, it, it may have something called a domain that is what is this role kind of responsible for or uh, what is the property of that role. But without getting too technical about it, once someone fills a role, they have the freedom and the autonomy to do whatever is necessary to fulfill the purpose of the role as long as it does not violate any other rule in the organization. And this is very different from how typically organizations function. Right? Typically, you have a job description and maybe you look at the job description when you join the organization and then you put it in your drawer then you maybe never look at it again. In order to kind of do what you're supposed to do, you're expected that I will do this and nothing else. If I need to go beyond this, I need to ask permission or I need to you know, check with someone. And in holacracy, it's the opposite. Do whatever it takes to fulfill the purpose as long as it does not violate any boundaries. Because we all know we need good boundaries in order to keep the organization safe. But there's a kind of a switch over there. And yeah, the other part about roles is it's very freeing and very beneficial to the organization. So I'll, I'll give an example. When we uh, shifted to Holacracy in our real estate company, this interesting thing happened. Earlier, our organization had these silos. So you had the customer care department, you had the property care department, you had marketing department, and people were in a way stuck in those departments, right? Because they were part of it and the structure kind of enabled that, you know, silos. And the moment we said, okay, now it's role-based, 
right? So uh, the customer care team has multiple roles and anyone who wants can fill those roles. Similarly, marketing has certain roles. Anyone whose talents match those accountabilities can fill those roles. So as a result, we had people who were originally in those departments now are cross-filling those uh, departments. And it allowed so much perspective that, oh, now that I'm in marketing circle, we don't call it department. Now that I'm in this circle, I can see things that I'm not seeing before. Um, and now that, because they're filling both customer care and say marketing. And for the organization, we could become more leaner because with a few people, we can really allow for more people to express themselves across departments. And who decides these roles? Oh, oh, that is such a good question. <laughs> um, once you've adopted Holacracy fully, the roles evolve based on uh, what we call in Holacracy tensions. Right? And uh, tension may not necessarily be a bad thing. You can think of it of any issue that comes up. right? And you feel my issue is not getting addressed because there is a lack of a role or an accountability or some expectation that I'm not getting. There is a governance process through which they can go ahead and propose a role. And as long as that proposal doesn't do harm, that role gets created. So it is that is the that's the beauty in this holacracy system that is an evolving system. It is not expected that there are a few people up in management who will decide the structure of the organization and once in six months or one year or five years you will do a reorg. There are these small incremental changes that are happening constantly based on tensions people are sensing and the organization evolves that way. I have one more question. How does the governance structure get created? Yeah, how, how does the governance process work? What it is, it is a process that anyone in the organization can use in order to uh, bring about a change in the structure. And, and usually these are small incremental changes so that their tensions get addressed. And the, that process is the heart of what we call the holacracy constitution. And so when an organization adopts holacracy, First step is for the person who holds, person on the top, typically the CEO or the owner, uh, signs the constitution and is basically saying that from now on, we are going to follow these rules in order to clarify how power is distributed within the organization. Now, one thing I want to sort of clarify because when people hear that, oh, the CEO signing the constitution, oh my God, is, oh, this is, sounds so crazy. Reason why it's not that crazy, <laughs> uh, or it is maybe some a little bit crazy to some extent, but it's really useful, especially if you want to build a purposeful organization an organization that is serving a purpose, is at the heart of the constitution is this governance process, right? That's like, that's really the core of it. If I had to really drill it down there, what makes holacracy holacracy and what makes the constitution the constitution is this governance process. So basically what you're in a way signing to is how the, uh, how the governance process works. There are other things that are there important that supports this, but in a way I just want, since you brought about how this comes about. It's really the constitution that identifies the governance process, allowing people to use it in order for the organization to evolve. I think in um, one of the fundamental changes that I've been struck with when I, you look at holacracy as compared to, say, traditional organizing structures, is holacracy attempts to make explicit or as transparent as possible power, right, and where it lies and what it does. Um, which is very liberating because in most other structures, power is not explicit. You know it, right? You know it's there and you sense it, but it's 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 influenced, but it's hidden, right? Whereas holacracy, I feel in many ways, attempts at least to bring a level of transparency 
to it? Or how, yeah. how, how would you respond to that, Ali? Do you yeah. think that's a fair comment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that really any organization that will that decides to go on this journey, one of the things that will immediately kind of uh, become so apparent to them is that how much holacracy brings about clarity. Uh, I would say if there's, if I can call it, if holacracy has values and what does it really value, it values clarity. Um, it it just, just comes out so uh, kind of evidently as people make this journey. So, yeah. Um, holacracy really clarifies how power is distributed within the organization and it's very fluid right it's not uh, okay so this is how power is organized and it's kind of stuck there no it's it's kind of a very fluid and that fluidness it is based on how the organization needs to adapt to serve the purpose so i i, I kind of like to make this shift because people think oh my god so how power is now distributed how are decisions made how are who's the boss anymore you know what happens because there's just this one way of thinking and there's a couple of ways to think about it. So in some ways, when a person fills a role, that person filling the role becomes the CEO of his role. He becomes the, the boss of his role and then he's deciding how is the best way I can serve my role and my purpose. So yeah, the shift that you're making is and I, I kind of felt that when I made that shift that earlier, I had this burden of leadership and this burden of being the boss in some ways. And I didn't really want that. <laughs> I don't want people coming up to me every time they're asking me for permission. It's not serving me, nor it's serving the organization, nor it's serving them. And what I wanted is a, a, an organization full of leaders where each of them is serving their own individual role in order to serve the purpose of the organization. And then in some ways, you know, if you ask them, who's the boss? Really, the boss is the purpose. You are, we are all coming together in this organization to serve the purpose. And everything that we do, all the decisions that we make is checking. Are we serving the purpose or are we, is it harming the purpose? The governance process is all designed around protecting the purpose. So, so what has been your learning from adopting holacracy and helping other companies uh, adopt holacracy? Uh, there's been a, a whole lot of learning. And I would say that any organization adopting holacracy to look at it as a journey. This is not a one-time thing that, okay, uh, we're going to get this, uh, get a consultant or do it ourselves and we will adopt holacracy and we are you know, self-managed. It is really a long-term journey. And I like to give this example that how long does it take to master, to get even good at leadership in a management hierarchy? And you know, anyone in the working world know that, yeah, it can take decades to maybe a lifetime to get good and master it. Right? That's the same for holacracy. It, it is a different way of working, a different way of how power is structured and organized. And it's really a journey. And it's a sort of a journey, lifetime journey. Right? But in every step, you, there is, I would say, a reward. If As you get good at it, you see things, you see people really being empowered, people really bringing their full selves to work. And it's a very powerful sort of journey any organization can take. Um, I'll share an example that really touched me when we adopted Holacracy in our organization. So yeah, this is in a real estate company, and I remember doing this in our in our customer care team. And there was a girl in our customer care team, and she was she's been there long enough to understand, uh, you know, the processes, how customer care works, how what our clients are like, and interacting with them. But she was always very quiet, always kind of very reserved. Uh, always saying yes to whatever the manager says. And as we started transitioning to Holacracy and she realized that, you know, now she has a voice, a space to speak up, a space to share her issues, a space to make decisions. She, so one of her concerns was, 
she wanted uh, we would buy gifts for our clients and uh, she always need to ask permission in terms of what gift to buy taking budget taking approval and as our customer base grew it became sort of a pain for her to do that so then she proposed in our governance meeting uh, she proposed a policy to have the her role having the freedom to buy gifts as long as it is within a you know a certain budget if it's within 500 rupees or i think 1000 rupees something like that she can go ahead and purchase without really asking permission and everyone like kind of like yeah this sounds like such a good idea so there were no objections uh, it got sort of approved there was a policy and so within like i don't know a few minutes or so that whole governance proposal didn't take time and she got the freedom and autonomy to make the decision and i saw a, sort of a different girl walking out of that room <laughs> after that meeting like there was a different you know the way she was walking and stepping out and you know shoulders high that wow she did something that i was never thought she imagined possible and yeah so the amount of freedom that it gives but also in a way that serves the organization makes it really make this a very powerful and a fulfilling uh, practice so the way that you approach it is there a difference when an existing organization you know an organization that's been in existence say for 10 15 years or 20 years begins to think about shifting themselves towards holacracy right and that journey versus let's say a really young organization a startup right that's that's just starting off and actually moving with that holacracy model in mind uh, will the journeys or pathways be different yeah i would say every probably every organization will have a unique pathway to this uh, system because every organization is unique uh, in In, in many ways uh, so yeah in some ways you know it's very easy for a startup because you're starting out fresh and you know you can start off with this new system and kind of grow with it and it is more challenging for an existing organization already having a structure already having a culture already having a way of doing things now you're asking them to shift so you really need to ease that in and really understand what are the organization needs and then based on that make those adaptive changes or adapt your adoption to those changes and i think that's where you know a, a good sort of coach comes helpful because i remember when i did it i was just you know i was this crazy guy who was just so excited with this new system and because in a way i had the power to do it i just went ahead and jumped into it and in many ways it backfired because i didn't have the experience or the foresight like what am i doing here i just read a book and i said let me jump into it and then i realized no i really need training in this because this is a big shift that's what then made me do the practitioner and the coaches training eventually in amsterdam and came back and i got more mature along the way to help organizations and my own organizations so yeah the the path is different and i think someone uh, a coach will usually assess you know where is it that the organization needs help and what part of holacracy would make sense right now for their adoption and then slowly move forward in their maturity to the adoption right Are there any first principles that need to be considered? I mean one of course is is uh you know seeking help and support and you know looking at uh, professional coaching maybe enriching yourself but any first step or first principles that organizations need to become aware of as they start this journey? Yeah I would you know so let's say an organization approaches me and says okay we want to do this i'll be very curious to know like what is why and what is it triggering this need for it if any organization doing it as a like a fad or this sounds cool let's do it i'll say that's really not the right reason to doing it because this is a big shift and at some point it obviously want to reduce the pain but there there there's some there can be some pain in this when you're making this shift so i would be very curious to know why and what i'm looking for when i sort of 
ask you know why is it that you want to do holacracy i would uh, try to understand how the person at the top uh, what are his reasons for doing it if he's not bought into it if he says no 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 i'm i'm cool you know the way i'm working is fine is my team they need to kind of fix themselves uh, so we don't want to put holacracy for them i would really kind of dig in deeper is is this a good fit or not right because you know if he feels i need to operate in a different way or he feels i need to operate in a different way and my team needs to operate in a different way that eventually it's kind of going to cause a lot of friction unless you're saying that team is totally autonomous and they can do their way and i'm this is different then maybe it could work but if it's a really integral part and you know you want the person on top to be really bought in and the other thing i would look at is so if an organization if they have a ceo or the owner on top who feels like and this is not a judgment call about right or wrong it's just i would say management style but if they have the management style where they really want to get involved in every nitty gritty detail and they want they see themselves as kind of the answer to all the problems maybe holacracy is not the right fit for them and maybe they're very successful that's you know it's working for them but i that's something i would look out for when i am sort of helping organizations make this shift also uh, in making this shift we wouldn't we need to get people on board with this change as well so we wouldn't just go into it like on day one we would give people an experience so typically what we do is we tell them look if you want to adopt holacracy first experience it right and through then a workshop we actually get their organizations mapped onto this new structure and we tell them look bring in your tensions bring in your issues let's see how this process would actually address your concerns and issues in this new way with governance and what we call tactical meetings etc and then if you feel like yeah, this is the right way then we go around making a plan for them okay this is how you can go ahead and do it so you quite brilliantly put out what are the internal conditions that are that have to be there for you to adopt an alternate management model what are the external externalities that are also forcing some companies to move away from the conventional command and control model and looking at other models like holacracy for example yeah well it's a brilliant brilliant question in terms of what are the externalities yeah absolutely you know something in just interesting to observe is that if you look at let's say last 50 years or last 100 years almost everything has uh, sort of evolved dramatically in the last 50 to 100 years you know the way whether it's money systems whether it's political systems whether it's agriculture whether it's uh, almost everything has dramatically changed and the pace of change is only increasing however if you see how we structure organizations it has pretty much remained consistent across even broadly if you see how organizational structure it is pretty much the same since last 50 to maybe even 100 years and i would say you know the this structure the management hierarchy right has been a very very useful structure for those last 100 years or so because it got us to where we are today however given how fast the world is changing given how the new workforce that is coming into the world is this younger generation millennial generation i'm part of the millennials so I, <laughs> i can call myself the younger generation <laughs> uh, given how this generation is now perhaps forming the majority of the workforce at, at least to some extent how now they uh, are um, how their views of how work should be or what really motivates them is now driving uh, what's happening at work 
uh, I think it's time, therefore, for organizations to thrive in this environment. They need to innovate their structure. If they are going to stick onto that structure, they are really holding themselves back in terms of what is possible for them, their, their organizations, their communities. And I would say, yeah, that's a big driving force or other driving forces for organizations for the need to evolve because we are living in this fast-paced world, a lot of innovation gig economy, and all these new things are coming up and this old way is no longer serving organizations. Um, so for people who are interested in beginning this journey, you know, there are a lot of resources available and we'll put some of them up on our website. But any recommendations from you as to where they could begin the learning journey? Yeah, uh, so I would say to uh, there are some really good videos out there that introduce holacracies. It's kind of a good start. So there's a TED Talk out there and more Google Talks out there. And there's the holacracy book that goes more in depth. Um, but I've also seen that the both the videos and the book, uh, they raise more questions than they answer <laughs> because it's very difficult to understand it without really experiencing it. So one of the things that we do is without sort of a larger investment or a larger time uh, investment as well, usually in a one to two day workshop, we give them an experience of what it's like. So I would say if, if after going through the resources, you feel, oh, this is really interesting. I would say, you know, explore by going through that one or two day workshop, really experience what it's like. That is going to give you a sort of a visceral feel what this is and how it actually works and a chance to answer those questions. And then from there, you will have a much better idea. Is this something that you want to do for your team or your organization or maybe it's not for you? <laughs> that's that's a call you can take. So one question I had, is there a, a holacracy light model? Oh, <laughs> um, uh, there is no holacracy light model, but but I have some good news. Uh, and maybe I could say maybe you the, could be the first podcast might be even hearing this because it's really fresh news in some way. So Holacracy version 5 is coming out. So the Holacracy uh, constitution currently that is being adopted uh, by organization is 4.1. And the major change between 4.1 to version 5 is what version 5 has made possible is what we call a modular adoption. Right? So in a modular adoption, you do not have to adopt the full constitution in one go, which was the case in 4.1. In version 5, they have rewritten the constitution where you can adopt parts of it that really serves your business needs and then on the path of maturity, see your business needs and then adopt the other articles of the organization, which in a way kind of serves the need for someone to having holacracy <coughs> light because you're not really adopting the full thing, only what you need. And I think the Constitution um, version 5 is available on the Holacracy website right now as well. Yeah, it's, it's so it's very interesting. You know, this is it's an open source document, right? And people can go in and contribute on GitHub and really kind of bring in their experiences and suggest changes. So yeah, just like an open source software, this is an open source document. It is available on the website. Uh, you can go ahead and read it. Uh, and if you want to even be like contributing, go ahead and contribute to something. What are the real-life examples of uh, companies adopting holacracy? You mentioned Zappos, and you, of course, mentioned some of the companies that you are working with, but some examples of organizations who have adopted holacracy. Yeah, uh, I think the last approximate count in terms of an official list or list that has been gathering around 2,000 plus, probably even more now, um, <clears throat> that have adopted holacracy. Uh, and it has ranged from government organizations. I know that, so when I did my training, there were people from the Dubai government who were there and they were undergoing training. So there are agencies in the Dubai government who are who have adopted holacracy. 
uh, I recently saw EMR Properties. And if you maybe Google it, you'll find it. So EMR Properties is the company that built Burj Khalifa, right? They recently adopted Holacracy and uh, it's doing very well in Europe. So I know a lot of companies there have adopted the David Allen company. I mentioned that. Yeah, I know some startups have done it. So this is an area that uh, Sujata and I are both you know, very excited about. So I'm very, very like self-managed team, self-managed organizations are like, you know, we are biased towards it. So I'm very glad to have you on the show. Lovely talking to you. Uh, I learned a lot about a holacracy, meaning one thing is to read the book and the TED Talk, but one thing is to actually convert to someone who's adopted holacracy. And uh, we're so glad to have you on the show. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much, Deepak and Sujata. Yeah, I, I love to talk about this stuff. Just talking about it gets me excited and brings back memories about the journey itself. <laughs> so, and it's always lovely to connect. Self-management is really sort of cutting edge at the moment. Kind of feels good to meet other people who are uh, having an interest in this. And yeah, I really hope that uh, more people jump on this wagon towards self-management. It's been a very fulfilling journey for me and I think it will be for others as well. Yeah, thank you, Ali. Hierarchy of purpose, not hierarchy of people. I think that's what I'm going to take away from this conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. Next week, we're talking to Shahana Chattopadhyay about that dreaded cross so many of us bear, the workplace meeting. You'll find the resources referred to in this episode in the show notes and more information at our website, www.workwisepod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Comment on the website or write to us at hello at workwisepod.com. Credits go to Sanjali Ranjan for the cover art and Derek Clegg for the intro and outro music. Today's episode was mixed, produced and edited by me, Saumya Karun. Don't forget to subscribe to the Workwise Pod on your favorite podcasting platform. We'll see you next week.